Welcome to another episode of the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Today we continue our series on every SEC women's basketball team as we head into the 2018-19 season. Joining me today, it's going to be second-year head coach at the University of Florida, Cameron Neubauer. Cam spent four years as a head coach at Belmont, had a really successful run there, took them to back-to-back NCAA tournaments and nearly upset Kentucky in his last season there before taking the Florida job. We'll talk to Cam about his background a little bit coming up as a men's coach before eventually switching to the women's side, his success at Belmont, and then we'll talk about his first year at Florida, a a year that did not bring a lot of wins but did bring a lot of close losses. Uh, Interested in hearing him talk a little bit about the team, the difference uh, between you know, where he came from, where he is now, and and see how they feel going forward. We'll talk plenty about this year's squad, too, and what to expect. So we'll get Cam on the phone, and we'll get this thing going. This is The Jump Around. back here on the jump around and join me as promised is Florida's head coach Cam Newbauer. Cam first thanks for taking some time out this morning. I know you've got a lot on your plate this season just getting rolling with practices and everything but before we get into your Gator squad for this year and talking about your experience there the past year I want to go back to the beginning. You're a men's coach at Georgia uh, and then you you make the jump over working for for Andy Landers at Georgia for the women's side what uh, what led to you making that switch over from the men's game to the women's game? Well, Blake, first let me let me thank you for having having me on the podcast. I've listened to your show for a while, and uh, I was hoping at some point I'd get the, the the honor of being with you on this thing. So thanks for having me, man. I appreciate uh, you covering our program, and just excited to talk to you today about whatever it is you got. Because you've always got fantastic questions for for the listeners out there, and. Um, so for me, with my journey, you know, I started my first six years on the women's side. I'm sorry, my first six years on the men's side and um, never really uh, knew what I, you know, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but never thought I would coach women's basketball. And while I was at George on the men's side, um, you know, Mike Schaefer was an assistant for Andy Landers for a long time. And he left and went to, went to Richmond. And when he went became the head coach at Richmond, that's when Coach Landers and I kind of became friends and just started talking basketball more and more while I was still on the, on the men's staff. And then uh, he had an opening on his staff, and he had approached me about um, working with him, and I, I kind of thought he was kidding at first. And we sat down and talked about it. And, and also at that time, my sister was starting to be heavily recruited, and I was starting to help her with her recruiting process. And so the opportunity to work for a Hall of Famer slash pioneer of the women's game and then also just to learn more to where I could help my sister and coach at a very high level uh, is what really intrigued me about coaching women's basketball. Yeah. Um, Andy Lander is a legendary coach. Andy Lander is also one of the funniest people I've been around in our game. Uh, him being on TV, like whatever we have to do to preserve Andy Landers for as long as possible, I think needs to be done. I'm sure you have pr- plenty of Landers Lander stories you cannot actually re- repeat, but <laughs> um, if if you if you had one, you could tell me. Uh, you know, feel free to drop that in at any point in this. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but you're totally right. He's like a big teddy bear. 
Um, fantastic coach. Uh, his preparation as a head coach always blew my mind. I think that this isn't a funny story, but just to kind of show people the amount of time he would put game prep for SEC games in particular. And I say SEC because once we got into the Thursday-Sunday routine, what he would, he would do is on Thursday nights we would finish a game, whether at home or on the road, whenever we would get back to the office. He would literally spend the night in the office watching film, preparing Friday-Saturday practice plans, and he would stay in the office. I am not kidding you, Blake, till about five thirty-six in the morning. He would go home, get three, four hours of sleep, come back in around 10. And so there would be days where I, I was an early morning guy. So there would be days where I would be coming in early to watch film of the previous night's game, and he would just be leaving. And you're talking a guy that was doing this, you know, in his late 50s. It yeah. um, had been a head coach for 30, 35 years and, and one of the winningest coaches, but he still put in so much time and preparation to have the team prepared to be best case scenario to, to win that game and just phenomenal phenomenal person and yeah we're so blessed to have him calling games now and being in the studio for espn just blessing the game even more yeah that's that's really good stuff well you obviously learn from him you you go to louisville and learn from jeff walls who's who's obviously one of the the best coaches out there and then you get your belmont job as a head coach uh your first year you know you go 14 18 and ironically enough, end up playing the aforementioned sister in the NIT when he played against Indiana. What a bizarre set of circumstances that is. Well, you know what's, what's funny about that whole situation, Blake, was my sister's first ever basket in college basketball was against me at Georgia. They came down her freshman year and played us uh, in Athens, and her first ever basket was against us. And so now all of a sudden we get the NIT draw, and we're playing at Indiana, and I'm looking at this thinking, all right, if we win, we end my sister's college career. And it was one of those just surreal moments because I'm from Indiana. My degree is from Indiana University. First time playing in Assembly Hall. Yeah. It was just such a such a great environment. And then we have a three. We're down one. We have a three that goes in and out with six seconds to go that would have gave us the lead, and we end up losing by two. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she, she got to, to play another game. We didn't. <laughs> It made it made Thanksgiving a little less awkward, I guess, the, the following year for at least for, yeah, for your yeah. end, right? Bragging well, rights for that's her right. life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, after that year, you go on, you you, you kind of have a ho hum second year, and then you guys just kind of set the world on fire. You you win twenty four games in your your third year. You win twenty seven the next one, and in your last season there, which was uh, one of those years where your your team had a chance. Yeah, you're playing against Kentucky, and, and yet again, you have a shot to win the game. I guess for anyone who hasn't been in Belmont, it's it's in Nashville. It's a, it's a beautiful uh, campus kind of tucked in there. How were you able to flip the switch from year two to three and carry that on? Well, one thing, you talk about the second year being a ho-hum year. Uh, I think that year, once again, we were like 14 and 17, 15 and 17. Uh, a very, very humbling experience that year that Coach Landers helped me learn. Um, going into that second season, we were picked to win the league. We had seven seniors back. We were picked to have the conference player of the year. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, hey, we're going to be pretty good. And I'm putting the, the you know, the, the cart before the horse. Sure. And I'm thinking that uh, this could be a special year. And, and heck, man, my second year as a head coach, this is what you dream of, right? 
And all of a sudden we start going through the season and we just find ourselves where it's not panning out at all as to how we planned or thought it would. All of a sudden we finish the year, I think, tied for third. We end up finishing like fourth in the conference. Uh, the preseason player of the year pick doesn't make first or second team. And just, you know, we're losing the semis and basically just have a, a befuddling year. And, you know, Coach Landers had told me before the season when he, he asked how we were going to be, and I started mapping it out for him, and he's kind of like, whoa, 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 man. Um, slow down a little bit, because once you start putting these expectations in your head to what you think, now you're going to coach that way, mm. and you're probably in reality going to put more anxiety on your players because you've got preconceived notions of what you think you should perform-wise. And all of a sudden, I'm learning that, hey, you just got to take it one day at a time. And so that second year really, really humbled me to show me that it's it's a process no matter what you have coming back, no matter what anybody else tells you they think you should be in your league, that you have to stick with the process. And so then going into that third year, uh, we've got a, a big freshman class, some really good sophomores recurring with some good upperclassmen. And I think I just tried to, as our staff went through it, to focus on trying to be a little better each day, each moment. And the more we did that, the more things started to come together, and we ended up being very, very blessed with our third and fourth years going to the NCAA tournament there. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense with the, uh, how you coach your team. It's, it's, it's funny how, how oftentimes it, it's something so minute like that that, hey, what's going on? Oh, it's, oh, it's me. <laughs> okay, my, my bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get out of the way, Cam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you obviously uh, turn that success into Belmont and and go go to Florida where you're at now. Um, Scott Strickland's first hire as the new AD there. A program who, you know, traditionally, I know you're probably annoyed hearing this by now, but you know the only the only program there without a conference title. And so you come in year one, and and you know that it's probably going to be a bit of a struggle. And and you guys did struggle, but was there any surprises? Was there anything different, uh, for good or uh, for better or for worse, I guess? Uh, was there anything that surprised you about the job, about being a head coach in the SEC? Is there anything that kind of you said, hey, this is a little different than I expected? You know, Blake, I think you're always learning as a coach. And um, I'm very authentic and real, and I got no problem telling you when I, when I was foolish and, and sure and really didn't see things the right way. And I think what happens sometimes is at this highest level, you oftentimes can get caught thinking that, all right, we've got bigger, stronger, faster people. So that means maybe we can coach differently. Maybe they already know the fundamentals and all the little things that, that kids at a mid-major or lower level need to be taught. And so I think at first I came in here thinking, all right, we've got these SEC caliber players, SEC caliber athletes, and these kids know automatically know more just because they're gifted more athletically. And so all of a sudden you get into practice and you start realizing, like, they're just the same as any other 17, 18-year-old young lady in the country that goes to college basketball and starts playing. They still need to be taught the fundamentals, no matter how athletic they are. They still need to be taught schemes. They still need to be coached on details. And so I think that was one thing, and it sounds foolish to say it, but that was one thing I think that I learned early on. It's like, look, you can't all of a sudden go full steam ahead. You still got to focus on the details, the fundamentals, and get the culture right in terms of your, your effort and attitude that you're going to play with every day. 
Yeah, sure. Well, and it's interesting, too, because despite all of that, and, and you look at your record and you go, okay, yeah, Florida, Florida stinks. Uh, you, I mean, you nearly lost as many conference games last year than you did in four years at Belmont, 13 to 15. So uh, it's very easy to look at that. But then you look, if you look at the details or if you're paying attention, which obviously, you know, I'm an SEC kind of guy, you lose by two to Mizzou, you lose to five uh, by five to Texas A&M, you lose to South Carolina by seven. Uh, so, I mean, and obviously this goes both ways, but uh, in your case, if, you know, one or two things fall your way, all of a sudden you guys finish in, you know, 10th or 9th maybe instead of being down towards the bottom of the conference and suddenly things look a lot better. So um, I don't know if you felt that during the season, but, you know, despite maybe the record, you guys still competed and are better than your record uh, probably indicated. Yeah. And, and Blake, to, to say again, as I spoke earlier, I think I got in the way because you mentioned how we're the only program here at Florida that has not won an SEC championship. Also, possibly, you know, everybody else here wins national championships. And so what ends up happening is I keep feeling this need, like I got to prove myself. I got to prove that I can coach at Florida and I belong here and I was hired for a reason. So all of a sudden, all that anxiety I talked to you about that I felt my second year, all of a sudden I'm kind of hanging on to that unknowingly and had my foot on the gas so hard to where you look non-conference, how we played, that we were up and down so much and lost a couple games that maybe we shouldn't have. But I think I wasn't coaching the right way that our kids needed. Then all of a sudden, at some point in January, I remember getting to a point to where I really got focused back on, let's just try to be better each day. Each possession, each day, let's just be better. And when I let go of trying to please everyone else and trying to feel like I had to prove something, I think that's when our kids really started to play with more joy. They started to play harder. They started to play more free. And we really did a great job of being focused on what's next, not just what happened. And I think that's why we were able to compete in so many of those games and, and, and have a chance to win. And one of the things that was said to us last year that really kind of made me feel good about the perception of what people saw was we had a parent call us of a recruit. And he says, you know, you guys aren't winning many games, but when we watch you, your kids are having fun competing and competing together. Mm. And that made me really feel good, like we had a lot of growth going on within the culture of our program. Yeah, no, Absolutely. And not to not to hang on this point, we'll move off of it. But do, uh, where does that you talk about having that kind of you know, hey, I got to prove myself. What, what where does that come from? Why do you do you know do you know where that lies? Not to play psychologist on you or anything, but um, is that just something that you've always had a chip on your shoulder? Is is it what is it specifically that that kind of makes you feel that way? Because I mean, you're at Florida, you're I the think- head coach, so I think you've kind of proven yourself. Yeah, and that's what uh, a fellow head coach here at Florida said to me once. He said, you know, Cam, um, you're in the room. You don't need to prove that you belong in the room because you're in the room. But I think just uh, as coaches, we all have egos, and and we all want to win. You know, nobody likes to lose. And I think it's easy sometimes to get caught up in society's views of success, which are wins and not losses, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I think you've got to keep yourself in check to where is this about me or is this about – helping these kids grow and become the best people and the best players they can be, or is it about me caring what everybody else thinks of me? And, uh, you know, I'll just be honest. It's something that you wrestle with because you want to have a successful program in terms of wins and losses. 
But I think what's even more lasting is if you can have a successful program where now these kids are really learning and growing and they're not focused on outcomes or results. They're focused on, on the process and the attitude and effort that they put into it. And that never changes for us as adults, no matter how old we get. We've got to stay focused on it's about it's, it's we over me. It's not me. It's we. And, and whenever I start thinking about what I want that's most important, that's when I'm going to get sidetracked. So I think it's just natural ego part of it that we all have and we all have to wrestle with at times, some greater than others. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm five, eight little fellow, so maybe it's a little man <laughs> syndrome sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just one thing that I really wrestle with a lot. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something that you got to find ways to keep yourself in check because if you don't, you put your players in, in a detrimental situation where all of a sudden now, um, you know, you're coaching them a little differently and you gotta, gotta always be, always keep perspective is what you have to do. Sure. Well, we will, uh, we'll go ahead and shift our perspective and talk about the, we we'll, we'll talk about your team a little bit. A lot of new faces this year. You got six newcomers to your program. You've got seven people who will be suiting up for the first time. If you include Corey Staples, who tore ACL in the first practice of last year. So you got all these faces, you, you've got a team who, we're second in the SEC in three-pointers made, but you guys are 12th in points per game, and you're losing your second, third, and fifth leading score. So there's just there's a lot going on there, right? And so how uh, how do you you know get these newcomers up and rolling, and how do you guys uh, kind of shift that? Because the three-pointers, that's awesome, but obviously you, you want to score a bit more. Uh, <laughs> you can score from elsewhere as well. Uh, so what? how do you make this shift, especially with so many new faces? Yeah, it's just about keep building the culture and I think we're doing a great job of that our players are really buying into how hard we have to play you talk about being in the SEC you're talking I think bar none that the best conference in the country with the best players and the best coaching so every single day you got to bring it and and that's the same thing at practice you're not just going to turn a light switch on and show up on Thursday and Sundays and be your best you got to prepare to get there and so I think we've done that with our first five practices Uh, we're pretty young and inexperienced and uh, you look at our roster and you might see some seniors and some juniors, but in terms of overall experience, that's what I mean by being young, yep. is that uh, we've, you know, Funda Nagasaglu, this is her second year in the SEC, but she transferred in, so really only has one year under her belt in the SEC. Uh, Delisha Washington uh, has played a lot in her first two years, but her role and what capacity that she will be completely different because we lost three seniors last year that were great captains and leaders for us. So now she's going to have to play a different role. So not only do we have new faces, but even our returners are going to be asked to play completely different roles than what they have in the past. And so it's, it's an exciting time. Um, it, it, it could easily could be an anxious time of, oh, my gosh, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? What's going to happen? Well, I'm not looking at it that way because what's been great is the effort and attitude they've had in practice every day just makes it so exciting of seeing how it's coming together. And I, I can't tell you how we're going to play exactly. I can't tell you what we're going to do defensively because we're still kind of putting that puzzle together. But it's so much fun seeing how receptive to coaching these young ladies are and seeing how energized they are to play each other every day on the court. Yeah. Well, what um, when you look at your, your recruiting class, obviously uh, – if you, if you get good recruits, you don't even have to be that good of a coach, right? So you, you guys did a really nice job with your first class, and, and I'm not just blowing smoke there, but you, you guys really signed some good kids, and, and you mixed it up. You got some kids out of high school. You got some international kids. You got a couple transfers who are eligible now. Uh, what can you tell us about this incoming class for people who haven't seen them play? 
I think it's so important that you've got to get kids that fit you and what you want to do going forward. And when I say fit you, I mean personality-wise. Do they do they know how you are? Do they want to be coached by you? Do they fit the culture of your locker room, of your campus, academically? And I think that's the best thing we did with this class is we found people that really fit Florida, want to do it the Florida way, and want to be part of building something special. And so in terms of who they are as people, I couldn't be more proud of, of who they are and knowing what they're doing for us already and excited for their, their future here. And then in terms of players, yeah, we, we've got a variety of pieces that we thought we need to find to help us out with our roster because we did lose so much last year, whether it be through transfers, whether it be through medical uh, retirements. Um, and so our, our roster is completely different. But in terms of kids that want to be at Florida and do it the Florida way, we're full of, of that. And uh, it's going to be fun to see how they grow and mature and come together. Uh, We've got a lot of learning to do on and off the court. But like I said, they're kids that want to do it the Florida way and that are excited to really build and try to do something that's never been done here. Yeah, well, you've got a a non-conference schedule with a couple tough games. I mean, at Florida State right away. I mean, hey, welcome to the season, kids. This is college basketball, (laughs) right? And then uh, you travel up to Ohio State. And then even that home game against Bethune-Cookman is a sneaky, tough game. That's a team that's been in the tournament a few times lately. So as you guys prepare uh, for the non-conference and get into SEC play, do you guys have any specific goals or are you kind of just, you know, maintaining that same mantra of let's get better each day and kind of let the chips fall where they will? Yeah, you know, we're going to Indiana, who won the NIT. Yeah, we're going to Mercer, true. that was 32-2. and two. You know, it's you got Utah and Vegas. Uh, and I can go on and on. I think our schedule is very daunting, and I'll take the blame for that. But <laughs> you mentioned the word goals there. I'm not a goal guy. Sure. I don't like to use the word goals because if we come up with, hey, we got our here's our standard that we got to reach in terms of wins and losses yep. or something of that nature, then you have a couple injuries, and now maybe you have a heck of a season, but you don't reach that goal. So rather than talking goals, we talk more expectations and, and habits. And what that is for us, most importantly, is, Attitude, effort, and body language. If we can compete every moment, every day with the best attitude, the best effort, and use the best body language, I think great things are going to happen. And so we just focus a lot on next play, not not what happened, but the next play. Trust the coaches to help fix what happened. We'll tell you what we should do differently. You just worry about competing that next play and not worrying about what happened. Worry about what you're going to do next. And so uh, that's, that's been my mantra for years as a head coach. You know, at Belmont, my last year, we never talked about wins and losses. We won 21 games in a row to end the year, and we never talked about winning the next game. We never even talked about how many we'd won. We didn't put it on the board. We didn't stress it. And what I found was if you can stick with the process of just trying to be the best you can each possession, each play, each day, that great things can happen because now all of a sudden, you're focused on controllables, not things that you can't control. And when you think about things you can't control, that's what creates so much of the anxiety that I've spoke about in all this conversation is <clears throat> we get bogged down in all these things that we can't control. And all of a sudden, you're giving too much time and energy to those moments, and that's taken away from things that you should be devoting that energy to that you can't control. Sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, um, I'll get you out here on this one, and, and I, I always kind of want to allow um, 
coaches to to be able to freely go with whatever they want. So if if there's one thing uh, that you could say to people who you know maybe haven't watched Florida or or maybe did watch you play and and think again not much of you guys because of your record, um, what what would you say to those people? What would you say to to anyone who's listening that you'd want them to to know about the Florida Gator program led by Cam Newbauer? I think you're going to see a, a great group of young ladies that uh, are going to be selfless. They're going to play extremely hard and passionate for each other. They're going to play for the name on the front of the jersey and going to compete with everything they have. And it's not going to be you know, based on wins and losses. That's one thing we, we've been talking a lot about lately. It's like if, if you knew if you knew you had a one in a thousand chance, and I heard Gino say this this summer in an interview, if you knew you had one in a thousand chance, how hard would you fight? Would you still fight with everything you have, knowing that you're fighting to get better, not just to win? Mm. And that's one thing we're stressing to our kids because we're not going to be the biggest, strongest, fastest team in probably any of these games, non-conference, conference. And so we've got to go in there with a mentality about how we're going to play, not what the result's going to be. And I think we, if we can do that, we can be a fun team to watch this year. Mm. Who knows how many games we'll win, how many we'll lose. But uh, if we can just stick with the process and really care about each other and love each other, then I think great things can happen. And that's what I'm hoping we can uh, parlay it into. Yeah. Well, Coach, I certainly appreciate your candidness. Uh, that's kind of rare nowadays. It's a lot of these interviews filled with cliches. So I appreciate you being uh, really open and honest. I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I think your team's better for it. You know, I love spending time with you. I love talking to you. And uh, I certainly appreciate you taking time this morning. We'll be following you guys closely and, and wish you guys the best of luck this season. Well, we do appreciate you, Blake, and uh, I, I think you're a good man, Charlie Brown. I, I do indeed. And uh, if, can, I, can I leave you with a joke? I heard, I heard a really good one the other day. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm kind of a joke guy. Have you, have you heard the rumor about the butter, Blake? I have not. What? What? I have not. Seriously? No. You haven't? No. Oh, wow. Well, crap. Um, Matt, K- uh, shoot, I... I probably probably shouldn't tell you then because uh, I I wouldn't want to be the one to spread it. Oh my gosh! Huh? Huh? <laughs> I know it's horrible, but I love it. <laughs> this I gotta go. I, I you you gotta go. We, we gotta kick you out. Mic drop. You, Mic drop. Good, goodbye, Cam. <laughs> Later, man. Thank you. Appreciate go Gators. You. Thanks so much to Florida head coach Cam Newbauer for joining me. Gosh, that that joke was terrible. I, unbelievable. Uh, and Cam's great, and uh, certainly appreciate his time, and, and sincerely uh, appreciate his candidness. That's uh, a rarity in these days, and um, pretty cool that he's he's willing and open to talk about that. Uh, not a lot of people like to say my bad, especially in a public forum. So I appreciate him doing that. You can listen to this and every episode of The Jump Around on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're listening, I suppose you already know that. But if you do listen on iTunes and would leave a review and rating, that really helps. And you know you can find me on Twitter at Blake Dudonis for any thoughts or feedback, as always, too. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, this is The Jump Around.